Now then, our, our second lesson is a continuation of uh, the account of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of the most important figures in all of the New Testament. And each of the Gospel writers has a fascination with him because they know that before Messiah is to come, that uh, Elijah was to come. And Jesus is going to tell them, if they can receive it, that this John the Baptist is the Elijah-like prophet who is to come. Now let me begin reading at uh, chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 2. If you have your Bible and you'd like to follow it, it might be helpful. Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said, Are you the coming one or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And as they were going away, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then continuing our study of John from Mark, Chapter 6, verse 14. King Herod had heard about the healing ministry of Jesus. And so when King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become well known and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. Therefore these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, no, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, 
the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to kill him and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man and kept him safe. And when he heard uh, him, he was very perplexed but he used to enjoy listening to him. And a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore an oath to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to the half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when John's disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb, and they went and told Jesus. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Our Heavenly Father, we have every reason in the world to be thankful to you for all of the gracious and good gifts which we know and enjoy. We are blessed so much in this land. We are thankful for the freedom that we have to worship you for the gift of an open Bible, for the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts in a group when our hearts are one, so that we might encourage each other in the faith and so that we might live for you and pray for each other. We pray that today you will do a good work in our midst by causing us to learn from the lessons in the life of a great and a good man, one whom Jesus loved dearly. And we thank you that he loves us too and will speak to our minds the courage and the conviction and the commitment that we need. And because we want to share that commitment to people around the world who have never yet known him as Savior and Lord, we bring a part of our material possessions and set them apart to the work of the spread of the gospel. And we do ask that you will see to it that the funds are used in ways that will honor you. And now bless us and make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength 
and our Redeemer. Amen. The other day it was my privilege to uh, be in, uh, I can't think of the name of the town, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's Amish country. And uh, the people had little buggies, that, uh, and they think cars are very worldly, and some of them are. But uh, uh, they had little buggies and uh, uh, had beards and strange uh, clothing, but were very, very good people, marvelous cooks. They must work hard because they certainly put a lot of food on the table. And uh, uh, I enjoyed seeing them, and I enjoyed uh, being there for the meeting of Scripture Union. It was a meeting of the Board of Trust and the Board of the Corporation of Scripture Union, which is an old and very wonderful um, means of reading the Bible. I encourage you, we have copies of it in the church office if you do not have a, de a devotional booklet to look at it, because it's good. Uh, the American Bible Society and the British Bible Society have had for years as their chief purpose the distribution of the Word of God. And that's good. But there are many copies of the Bible. And the Bible is distributed widely around the world. But I fear it is not read as much as it should be. And uh, the reading of it is not put into practice like it should be. And the thing that I like the most about Scripture Union is that it keeps you from reading in the same place over and over. And uh, uh, it shows you how to apply each day what you read. And it takes you all the way through the Bible in four years. Or you can have a capsuled uh, version of it that will take you through the Bible in one year. Uh, Donald Mitchell, who was preaching for me here last Sunday, uh, was the Scripture Union representative in Lima, Peru, when he was there, because he had learned about Scripture Union uh, out in New Zealand. And uh, uh, one of the men at the Scripture Union meeting from Peru asked me if uh, I was from Montreal, and I said yes, and he said, do you know Donald Mitchell? And I said, that's funny, he's preaching for me today. Now then, the reason that I said that is that Scripture Union has a motto, and that motto is, I delight in thy law, O God. Now, by law, we not only mean the Ten Commandments by which God guides us in life, but we mean his word, which is to keep us in the straight and narrow path. And uh, the other day, we illustrated this to our communicants by telling them where the word came from, Torah. Torah means rock. And actually, when Moses had taken those, all of that crowd of people, possibly as many as two million, out of Egypt and into that wilderness journey, and finally when he went up into Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments, Moses went up there as the absolute ruler over those people but when he came down, he came down with commandments from God by which they were to be ruled. Four that have to do with our relationship to God, one which is a transition, and then the other five that have to deal with our relationship with each other. And so it's important that we know about the law of God and that we keep it because it keeps us on the straight path.
And I said Torah meant rock. Now, if you could imagine a misty mountain where you are clothed in by mist and you are trying to find your way through the fog, the Hebrews had a wonderful way of doing this. They had a rock, and they would throw out the rock and then listen for it to land. And they could tell by the landing of the rock whether it hit on other rock or whether it hit on rock that was covered with a little dirt or whether it hit in water. And that helped them to know because they would walk toward that sound and it would be a guide to them to their path in life. I don't have a rock. I've got some keys. But if I throw them here and you hear it hit, you know that it's hit on something. And if I toss the rock uh, out there and it hits, you can tell it hit on a carpet there. Uh, if I tossed it and I couldn't see a thing and I didn't hear any noise at all and I was walking in that direction, that information would be useful too. <laughs> and uh, that, that's what the law of God is meant to teach us. And Jesus came to fulfill the law of God. And he had one who came before him. And the one who came before him was a great old prophet. The law and the prophets. The prophets would interpret the law. They would show you how to walk where that rock fell. They would keep you in the right path. Today the church has got rocks thrown in every direction. Nobody knows which way to go. And it's a sad thing, largely because we've gotten away from the book, the Bible, which teaches us the law and the word of God. Here is where we are to take our rock. And we are to find the ultimate rock in the Lord Jesus. And so when we turn and we read the gospel according to Luke, we find that Luke is especially fascinated with this last of the Old Testament prophets and the first of the New Testament prophets, uh, John the Baptist. Now, T.W. Wilson is always telling me that uh, he didn't say John the Presbyterian because T.W. is the Baptist. And he didn't say John the Nazarene either. So, uh, oh me, why did I say that? But, but anyway, <laughs> I don't, uh, you don't get the denominations out of that. They didn't, uh, I love the old Negro preacher who said, I as a Baptist, what abomination is you? <laughs> uh, the, we, we can get along without the denominational stuff. If we don't know the Lord, uh, we're in trouble no matter what kind of label. And it doesn't matter what kind of label you put on an empty bottle. Uh, now then, back to the gospel according to Luke, and Luke telling us about John and how we're going to apply it to our life today. Luke is a careful historian. I often think of the excellent notes that Dr. Nelson Bell made. Uh, Dr. Bell was a physician. Any good dentist or any good physician has to keep notes on his patients. I have to go back to the Mayo Clinic soon. 
and they'll get out my records and read all about the things that I've been through up there, and they'll ask me a lot of questions. And one way you can tell a good doctor in the hospital is when he goes by the nurse's station, he gets the charts, and he sees what kind of night you had, and he reads over it, and he asks the nurse some questions. Then he goes into your room. That's when you get your money's worth. Uh, if he just drops in there, you may not be getting your money's worth. But you study it. So Luke was a physician, and he was also a careful historian. And Luke writes down that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, when Herod was tetrarch, now that means the governor of the fourth part of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch, that's another fourth part of the region of Ituria and Trachonatus, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene. Uh, in the, you see, he's listing these historical figures to tell you the importance of John the Baptist's ministry and the inauguration of that ministry. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, like the law of God, the word of God to lead us in the right way came to John. John, the son of Zacharias, who was a priest. And it came to John in the wilderness. And listen. And he came into all the district around the Jordan. And that was a wild area preaching a baptism of repentance. And repentance means a changed mind. It does not simply mean to be sorry for our sins. That may be a part of it. But it means so sorry that we've changed our mind and we will go in a different heading, in a new direction. Repentance is a change a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The people had come to him. As it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every ravine shall be filled up, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough road smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now this is getting ready. The Savior is coming, and John is preaching, and it's created the biggest stir in 400 years, because the voice of the prophet has not been heard in all that time. He therefore began saying to the multitudes, and that's a myriad, huge crowds of people to the huge crowds of people who were going out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers. Boy, that's something to be preaching to a congregation. You brood of vipers. He was out there in the wilderness where if you started a little fire, some snakes might come out from under the brush. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. There were people coming to be baptized. Therefore, bring forth fruits in keeping with your repentance. 
There was a time when a man joined the church that his neighbors knew it, the people that he did business with knew it, all the community knew it, because there was a change in his life. Uh, uh, it really meant something. And now that it's much tougher to get in a good rotary club than it is to get in a church, why? Well, here there is a change that is demanded by John to show that you belong to the Lord. Look, some of the people said, we have Abraham for our father. John said, I am not impressed. For I say to you that God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. Don't talk to me about your father going to Princeton and your grandfather going to Edinburgh. We don't worship with our faces toward Edinburgh. And also the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. John knew what it was to work. His hands were calloused. Those Mennonites and those Amish people, uh, someone was telling me up there the other day that during uh, the war, that some conscientious objector, uh, Amish or pacifist, uh, had appeared before the draft board. And uh, um, this young man said he was Amish and uh, claimed exemption from uh, military service on the grounds of being a conscientious ob objector. And there was on the draft board a member of the Amish faith. And he said to this man, show me your hands. And when he showed him his hands, uh, the old bearded Amish brother said, you are not Amish. He had wanted to be exempted from the service, but he didn't have the calluses on his hands that those people who work so hard in the fields do. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? Now that's important. What shall we do? If we come to the Lord, what shall we do? And he brings an answer back. Let the man who has two tunics share with him who has none. Let him who has food do likewise. There again I saw a parallel in those Amish people. Uh, they go and build a barn when a neighbor's barn burns down. One man told me he was not, he was a Presbyterian, and not even a very good Presbyterian. Uh, he told me that he moved into that country and bought a place, and uh, that uh, uh, his barn had burned down. And he said it was just really very strange. He said, all of a sudden, one morning, here came these people uh, with their buggies and their wagons, and they're carpenters, and they started building his barn again. He went out to talk with them. He said they didn't do much talking. They just worked. When they got finished, they left. Uh, they were working. They showed their faith. And John is demanding that if you repent, then you are to show your repentance by deeds of mercy and of love. And then he said to people who were crooked tax collectors, who also came to be baptized, they wanted a seal showing that they had a changed life. 
And they asked him the question, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Don't cheat. Don't take advantage of your opportunity to cheat people. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, what about us? What shall we do? And he told them not to abuse their authority. We read a lot of times about police who uh, abuse their authority because they have a pistol or because they have a club that they can abuse uh, people to make them uh, do what they want them to do. And uh, they may, in some areas, take money by force, which is protection money, or give special favors to people that they protect in a special way. And here John says that's wrong. Uh, you're to do your duty and to be content with your wages. And you are not to accuse anyone falsely. Uh, he brings all of these things out. And uh, this is strong preaching. And it's right in line with the preaching which Jesus will do when he goes into the synagogue in the fourth chapter of Luke and preaches his next sermon there. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He himself will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is in his hand to clean out his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then in verse 18, a really strange verse, so with many other exhortations, also he preached the good news to the people. Does that sound like good news? Well, we wouldn't think it was good news today with our modern style of preaching. We would be preaching how that if you really got right with the Lord, you were going to prosper in your business and be healthy the rest of your life and that everything else was going to work out just fine. But here, the good news is different. It's going toward the rock. It's doing the right thing. It's living in righteousness. Now quickly I have to show you how John practiced what he preached. It's too complicated for me to tell you about all the Herods and far too complicated to tell you about all their wives. They were much married men and uh, they were very immoral and very ruthless. One of the Herods had been the person responsible for the effort to destroy the baby Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem. And that's the kind of cruelty that was perpetrated by some of them. This particular Herod had gone to Rome, and through the strange relationships that they had, both in incest and adultery, he came back uh, with his brother's wife, uh, who was already his niece anyway. He came back uh, with her and brought her to uh, his country, and John denounced it. Now, the interesting thing is that this uh, particular Herod liked to hear John preach. I've often wondered about that because you remember 
uh, Herod sent for Jesus when Jesus was on trial by Pilate and wanted to hear Jesus preach. He wanted to see him do a miracle. And this Herod sends for, for John the Baptist. And he listened to him. He was fascinated by his preaching. Uh, Benjamin Franklin used to go at great lengths to hear George Whitfield preach. George Whitfield was a tremendous preacher. It was said that his oratorical gifts were a little short of amazing, that people could hear him for more than a, the distance of a mile. He had an incredibly powerful voice. And he could hold people spellbound. And Benjamin Franklin actually collaborated with him in helping to build an orphanage down in Savannah, Georgia. But Benjamin Franklin was a womanizer. And Benjamin Franklin was a deist. And Benjamin Franklin, so far as we know, never yielded his life to the Lordship of Christ. He may have on his deathbed. He had a crucifix erected there when he died. But they had letters to each other, and, and Whitfield wrote him and told him that he was fascinated with his investigations with uh, of Franklin's investigations into electricity and he said I wish you would apply that same uh, mind into your investigation of the new birth so that you might have a new birth from God. It's important to remember that the Bible tells us that the devils believe and tremble but they don't repent. Now remember that. The devils believe and tremble, but they do not repent. And repentance is where it counts. Repentance is refreshing. It's the most refreshing and wonderful thing in the whole world. And so when John had denounced Herod because of his incestuous relationship with his brother Philip's wife, Herodias had him badgered her husband into having him arrested. And he was taken and placed in a dungeon near the Dead Sea. A palace. That, uh, a fortress, not a palace, a fortress that was there. She was a strategist and she realized that she was going to destroy this man no matter what it took. And I'm sure that John the Baptist must have had friends who said to him, Now, John, listen, you're a fantastic preacher. No one has ever seen these crowds of people go out into the desert listening to anyone. Why, we can't get them even to come to the synagogue. They hardly go to the temple. But man, they come out into the deserts to hear you preach. And the king himself wants to hear you. Go and preach before him. And be careful what you say, John. And for heaven's sake, don't talk about the seventh commandment. I think that must have been his text. He walked in and said, I want to preach about the ten commandments, especially about the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he barreled right into it. And so Herodias got her husband to have him arrested and chained and put into prison. Must have been terrible for 
one who grew up in the wide open spaces and in the desert country to have been in prison. There's an old legend that the walls were scratched from where he used to climb up to peek out and try to look outside the dungeon wall. And then there came a time when Herodias, who must have had a physically attractive young daughter, had her dance before the king on his birthday. And she had given a banquet, and she had especially invited great personages there. Army officers, people who were members of the court. And when they had become drunken, and then when they had become inflamed and enraged with the lust of the dancing of the girl, and the king began to show off, he was so taken with whatever she was doing that he said to the crowd and to the girl, I'll give you anything you want, even to the half of my kingdom. She knew enough to go out of the room and ask her mother what to ask for. And her mother said, you ask for the head of John the Baptist brought to you on a platter. And so because the king had made this oath, remember this, because sometimes you may say something that you shouldn't say in the presence of a lot of people. Be careful. The book of Proverbs tells us that we need to remember to be careful when we're in the presence of great people about what we say. This king had made this sweeping oath, and now then he sins and has John the Baptist's head cut off. Before John had been beheaded, he had sent word to Jesus and asked him, Are you the one who should come, or do we look for another? Maybe he had heard about Jesus healing and teaching and preaching, and he had heard the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and the other things, and he thought, Why doesn't he overturn all of this? But Jesus said to go tell John, Go tell John that the lepers are cleansed, the blind see, the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the man who is not offended in me. Go tell John, there's an old Negro spiritual, go tell John that I'm working right on schedule. And so don't be offended if in your life you must go through some financial reverses or you go through a time of bad health or you go through a time when your goods are spoiled and people mistreat and abuse you. The man who was up here leading us this morning in worship, he and his wife and family spent years in a prison camp in the Philippines by the Japanese during World War II. There are people out in this audience today who have literally been imprisoned for conscience sake, not because of wrongs which they have done, 
but because of conscience sake. Life can become very serious very quickly. And so John got the word back from Jesus. And one of my favorite old preachers, old Vance Havner, said when, when John said his worst about Jesus, Jesus said his best about John. When Jesus told his disciples, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed blowing in the wind? No. He said, you went out to see a prophet, and what you saw was more than a prophet. And our task of evaluating G uh, John the Baptist is rendered easy by the words of Jesus. For he said, there hath not been born of woman a greater than John the Baptist. And you remember in the Gospel of John, there's so many things that could be said about John the Baptist. In the Gospel of John, the Apostle John writes of him that he was a burning and a shining light. This is what Jesus said of him. And when people wanted to say that he was the Christ, he said, no, I'm not the Christ. I must decrease and he must increase. What one grand preacher has called the heroism of self-effacement. He was single-mindedly interested in carrying out the work of his Lord, and it cost him his life. And so his apostles came after he was beheaded, John's apostles, his, his disciples, and they took away his poor, pathetic, headless body and buried it reverently. And they went and told Jesus. And one of the other gospel writers tells us that Jesus went aside in a place to pray. He must have thought about that towering figure. I've often thought I would like to see a church named the Church of St. John the Baptist because of the courage and the conviction and the commitment that was in his life. Last year was kind of a bad football season because of the strike. One of the worst football games that was ever played was supposed to be an all-star game in a stadium where 100,000 people had assembled, uh, where 100,000 seats were and 600 people had come to see it. Do you know why it was such a sorry ball game? It was some all-stars trying to play in a ball game but not really play. They didn't want to get hurt because... They knew that if they got hurt, it would cripple them up when the strike was over and the season resumed again. And so they played very conservatively, and they didn't play with authority nor with urgency. And I see in the Christian church an analogy to some of this. We don't want to be like that, to win and according to Rocky III, you have to have the eye of the tiger. You have to want it. And then you have to be in condition. And then you have to go after it. Well, John had all of that. Single-mindedly, he knew what he wanted to do. He was convicted to follow the law of God and the word of God and the Christ of God. And that gave him the courage that he needed to be expendable in the cause of righteousness. 
And that courage led him to a commitment that cost him his life, but gave us an example of faith, and also brought to us consolation. Because if one as great as John could be discouraged, we can be discouraged too. But we should send and ask Jesus what to do about it, and remember what Jesus teaches us, and then obey and follow him. Let us pray. Our Father, may we reach out by the hand of faith to take a fresh grasp upon the hand of Jesus so that we may live in newness of life, in fresh new repentance, and a changed way of thinking and living and doing. If we've never accepted him, then help those persons to accept him today. If we have accepted him, help us to truly live for him. Give us the courage and the conviction and the commitment we need. Work faith in our hearts and produce fruit in our life worthy of the name by which we are called. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.